Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. I haven't spoken in person since March 15th. Our church is still meeting online, so y'all look good. All right, this feels good. I got to get something out of the way now. I'm going to need you all to participate, okay? So you're allowed to talk during the sermon. Can I get an amen? Can I get a hoo hoo Can I get a come on now? All right, if you're real Southern or something, you could just give me a let the wild hogs eat. You know what I mean? Like, you just stand up and say it. But I want you to react and be a part of this. Um, I am not Dave. I love Dave. Dave loves me. So if you don't like me, you got to deal with Dave. But I love Dave, but I'm not Dave. So we're going to chant this together. Ready? We're going to start quiet and we're going to get big so we can all get into this different mode because I am way different than Dave. So we're all going to say this. Dave's not here. Come on. Dave's not here. Loud. Dave's not here. Dave's not here, but thanks be to God, Jesus is here. Can I get an amen? All right, so we're going to jump into the word. Last time I had everybody stand for the reading, but I noticed that y'all didn't like that. So we're going to stay seated, and I'm going to read God's word off the Sky Bible. So if you don't mind, if you have a Bible, we're going to 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 8. I will read this to you. One day, Elisha passed through a place called Shunem. Everybody together say Shunem. One more, oh, that's good. Okay, one more time, but, but like you mean it. Ready? Shunem, all right? Passed through Shunem. A leading lady of the town talked him into stopping for a meal. And then it became his custom. Translation, she's a good cook. Whenever he passed through, he stopped by for a meal. I'm certain, said the woman to her husband, that this man who stops by with us all the time is a holy man of God. Why don't we add on a small room upstairs and furnish it with a bed and a desk, a chair and a lamp, so that when he comes by, he can stay with us? And so it happened. But the next time Elisha came, he went to the room and he laid down for a nap. All the parents are like, yes, naps. And then he said to his servant, Gehazi, tell the Shunammite woman that I want to see her. And he called to her and she came to him. And through Gehazi, Elisha said, you've gone far beyond the call of duty and taking care of us. What can we do for you? Do you have any requests that we can bring to the king or to the commander of the army? Elisha's cool. He's like name dropping. He's like, I know the president. Is there anything that you need? And she replies, nothing. I am secured and satisfied in my family. Elisha conferred with his servant Gehazi. But there's got to be something that we can do for her. But what? And Gehazi said, well, she has no son. And her husband, he's an old man. Call her in, said Elisha. And he called her. And she stood at the open door. And Elisha said to her, This time, next year, you're going to be nursing an infant son. Oh, master, oh, holy man, she said, Don't you play games with me, teasing me with such fantasies. And the woman conceived a year later, just as Elisha had said, she had 
a son. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for New Covenant Church. God, we pray that in the moments we share now, that you would speak to us. Would you lift up those who are brokenhearted? Would you be near and comforting to those who are in pain? Would you convict those who are standing just a little bit too tall today and make us more and more and more like Jesus? In his name we come to you. Everybody said together, amen and amen and amen and amen. A little bit about myself. I've been pastoring our church for six years. Um, I'm married to my wife of now, coming up on 11 years, my wife, Rachel. She's right here. Everybody say hello, Rachel. Um, we uh, have three children. Um, I would tell you their names, but you wouldn't believe me. We have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. Um, they are all amazing. I guess I should just spit out the names. We have Racer, Ruckus, and a little girl named Rebel. And uh, they are amazing. This has been the best five years of my life. Being a dad is the best. But being a dad during COVID has kind of been the worst. Can I get an amen? It's like, I want you to go to preschool. Like, go away, you know? Like, go quarantine in your own room, child, you know? Being a dad has been so good and so bad. Any parent in the room could admit, you love your kid, you'd do anything for your kid, you've dreamed about your kid, you have dreams for your kid, but there's a moment or at least some days in your life where you could probably put that kid through a wall. Can I get an amen, mom and dad? You don't like to admit it, like, we're in church, are we talking about sin? Like, yes, we are real people. Can I tell you something about your pastor? He's a real person. I know a lot of pastors in this town, being a pastor in this town, and I would venture to tell you that we're all a little bit full of it. There's just this level of pastor-to-pastor -pastor conversation where we're all just kind of like given just enough information about our ministry and our life, just so that everyone's like thinks we're amazing and oh, they're successful. And let me tell you something about your pastor. That man, when he calls me or I call him, he is real. I believe him. If you find someone in your life who follows Jesus and when they speak, you believe them, you hang on tight to that person. He's getting a break right now, a rest right now. But let me tell you something about being a pastor during COVID-19. You have second-guessed every decision you make. Do we close? Do we open? Do we cooperate with the governor? Do we not cooperate with the governor? Do I say something political? Do I not say something political? Do we talk about race? Do we not talk about race? And let me tell you something. He has navigated those waters, and he has pressure on his shoulders that a lot of you probably won't understand, but you need to at least sympathize with. Everybody go home and give Dave a raise. Ready? Give Dave a raise. No, I'm just kidding. But, but he is working hard for you, and I just want to say this. He is real, and he loves you, and you have found a good thing in that man. Dave is someone who I trust. And so when I complain about my children, he always gives me like a proverbial pat on the back. Three, five, and a one-year-old. There was a moment in our life where all three of them were in diapers. Expensive habit those children have. I remember potty training our oldest son a few years ago, and there was a moment where he, he's... He's got a flair for the dramatic, and I have no idea where this kid gets it. But he just has to, like, make a scene, right? So he's making this scene. He's in the living room, and he is screaming. We call it bloody murder. He's like, Rah! and I'm like, dude, what's the matter? What's the matter, racer? And he goes, I missed the party. And I'm like, 
so nice and gentle, and I cleaned him up. But in my mind, I'm having a conversation with him, like, son, you're going to have to buck up. You know, life is hard. You're going to just have to, you're going to have to grab it by the horns. But instead, I'm like, oh, it's okay. We all have accidents. But in the back of the mind, I'm going, of course you missed the potty. You're in the living room. You're not even in the ballpark. You're nowhere near it. It really got me thinking. I wonder how many of us Jesus followers, Christ followers, we call them Christians. I wonder how many of us are whining and complaining to God about our mishap and we're not even in the right room. We're not even anywhere near where we were supposed to be. The Bible, we're jumping into a story of the prophet Elisha. The prophets and the judges were God's representations on planet Earth before Jesus. When a judge or a prophet spoke, the people assumed that God was speaking to them and through them. That when the prophet came into your town, it was as if God was coming into your town. He was the voice of God. He has stumbled upon, as he travels through the valley of Jezreel quite often, he stumbles upon a Shunammite woman who he happens to get a meal from, and eventually it becomes his custom to stop, to eat, so much so that she says, this guy's here all the time, he must be tired, he must be hungry, he must need a place to work and to rest and to operate. Why don't we build him, furnish him a room? Anybody here ever done like an addition or construction in their own home by show of hands? Anybody ever done it? It is a pain, right? Like it ain't easy, there's dust everywhere, there's drywall, you got the contractors, you got the tile, you got, it's, you got the paint, the paint is everywhere. If you have children, like I have children, they're helping with the project and that is never really a help. It's a paint, she just on a whim, with her level of influence and wealth, with a home enough to build on, she tells her husband, you know what, I'm going to do an addition, we're going to do a little Airbnb for Elisha. We're going to have him stay. We're going to let him cozy on up. I like this guy. I want him around. And so the Bible tells us it became his custom. Can I ask you a question? Is it God's custom to be in your home? Is it God's custom to be in your space? I think we like to think it's our custom to be in God's space. Isn't that what we're doing right now on a Sunday morning? I love church, don't get me wrong. I love that church is a, is a place and a time where I give God my full attention. I would venture to say that most of us have not given God an hour and 17 minutes of our day other than on Sunday. We just give God a whole attention. Here's my song. Here's my uncomfortableness. I have to wear a mask with all these people. Here, here's listening to this young guy yell at me for an hour. Here, here is this guy. I'm going to give you my full attention. But that's what church is. It's furnishing a room for God in your schedule. Sunday is not the last day of the week. Sunday is the first day of our week. It is where we give God our first. But is it God's custom to stay in your spaces? As good Christians, it's our custom to go to God's spaces, but is it God's custom, like Elijah's custom, for the Shunammite woman to stay in the place you have furnished for God? What does it mean to furnish space for God in your life? It means furnishing space in your schedule, in your pocketbook, 
in your hopes, in your dreams, in your ambitions, and even physically, yes, physically, in your home? Do you have space that you've built for God? I think a lot of people are frustrated with God. I think 2020 has led us to a lot of frustration. Can I get an overwhelming amen for that? Who here has enjoyed this year? You're like, get out, you liar, you know? Well, no one's enjoying 2020. If they tell you they're having a great year, they're, they're probably work for Amazon, and that's about the only people who are having a good time right now. We're all struggling. This year has taken us to the very edge of our emotional limitations. And a lot of us are frustrated with God. But could it be possible that you and I are frustrated with God because you and I have not yet furnished for God space in our lives to operate? We're so busy and consumed with our own schedules and our own dreams and our own business plans and our own finances and our own futures that if we don't actually carve out space for the God who saved us, we may operate in our lives without him and not even know it that there are Jesus followers in this room and around our country. I would even venture to say there are entire churches that are so good at what they do that the Spirit of God no longer has to be active and no longer has a space because they've got it all together. And the Shunammite woman goes, something is special about this Elisha. Like something is unique. He must be a man of God. He, he must be I'm going to build him a space in my life. I want him to be around me. All throughout the Old Testament, God has been concerned with humanity building spaces for him. The Ark of the Covenant, a space for God. The tabernacle in the desert, a space for God. The temple in Jerusalem, the space for God. Jesus sat at a table with his 12 most ardent followers and he said, do this often in remembrance of me. Make space for me in your life. What kind of space in your life have you created for God? Because I believe that when you create a space for God, a dream is born. Look at verse 12. She says, what can, what can we do? Like, what can we do for this woman? She seems to be amazing. She just seems to have it together. I, I love what she is doing. Let's, let's bless her somehow. And he said, tell the Shunammite woman, I want to see her. He called her. She came. And Gehazi says, you've gone far beyond the call of duty and taking care of us. What can we do for you? What can we do for you? What has the woman done by furnishing a room? She has shown Elisha honor. Everybody say honor. One more time because you need to really participate or I'm just going to keep going until you all do. They told me 11.50 is my kill time. I'll go till 2 p.m. I grew up in a very charismatic church. We would go all night until everyone was on the ground. All right? I said, everybody say honor. Is that not what our culture needs? Honor? I mean, I don't mean to get political, but can we talk a little bit about politics right now? I don't care if you're on the left or if you're on the right. I don't care who you're voting for. I do not serve a president. I serve a king. He doesn't get voted in office. He sits on a throne. But no matter where you are voting, no matter what you believe in, I have to tell you this. Don't you wish there was just a bit of honor in the way that these men are conducting themselves? 
When I think about the, the, the next generation coming up, not, I talk to people who are only five, six years younger than me, and they don't even give me eye contact. And I'm like, can you look me in the eye while you disrespect me at least? Like, where's the honor? I think about the way that we're moving as a country and how diverse and polarized we become. And I wonder how much honor is lacking and how much maybe honor could be a solution for you and I. That no matter what we believe, no matter where we land on issues, at least I can respect and honor and treat someone with dignity who believes differently than me. This woman chooses to honor the man of God. Why? She respects him. She makes space for him. You can sleep here. Here's a bed. You can work here. Here's a desk. You can come at any time you want. I'm going to put a lamp in it. You can do whatever you need. I'm going to show you honor. The best way to honor another human being on this planet, if you're a note taker, write this down. Honor equals consideration. You want to honor someone? You must first consider them as more significant than yourself. We got the three kids, right? And the five-year-old thinks he's 20. And, and he, he's smart and he's bright and, and, and he puts me in my place. At least he thinks he does. And, and, and we're at this point where I'm like, how do I teach him to be honorable at school, at home, with the family? Do we do the yes, ma'am? No, sir. Yes, sir. Like, how are we going to teach them honor? And what I'm beginning to understand about honor as I teach my young children to follow Jesus and to love people, which is our call as Christians, is that he would consider others. Racer, if somebody needs help, you help them. If the teacher needs help carrying something, you carry it. You consider her. Racer, I want you in the playground. You look for the lonely guy. You look for the lonely girl. You consider their feelings. You consider how they must be feeling in that moment. Racer, you want to know why we're stopping right now? We're going to pick up a Reese's Pieces. Why? Because we're thinking about mama. We're considering mama. How do we show honor to mama? We think about our mom. When you want to show honor, you must first put in thought. And this woman thinks about Elisha. He must need a place to stay. That's a 13-mile ride for you and I. That's like six minutes. If you drive like Pastor Steve on his motorcycle, that's like two minutes. But 13 miles is a long time in the ancient world. He's got to travel two days to get 13 miles across the valley. He's going to be tired. He's going to need a place to stay. He might need a place to work. He's definitely going to need some food. She chooses to honor, and her honor and the room she creates for Elisha and going the extra mile, which for some reason or another is also rare in this day and age. We are bare minimum culture. Let's just do just enough to get... Let's just do a little bit. Let's just go to church. Let me just drop in the minimum amount in the, in the tithe and offering. But let's just do the minimum. That's who we are all of a sudden as a culture. And this woman goes the extra mile. She goes above and beyond. The Bible says the call of duty. And she is garnered the attention of the man of God. What can we do for her my whole life? I grew up in a Bible church. Like if all churches don't like read the Bible. I don't know why we say it like that. Like we're proud of it. Like the Bible church. And we studied and we considered all the nuances and idiosyncrasies and, and, all, and all of the, uh, the implications of the book of Leviticus. And, and we did all the learning and we learned the Greek and the Hebrew and we did all of that. And my whole life I grew up believing that Christianity was about what I did for God. But the story of Jesus is not what we do for God, but what God did for us. And so I worked and I gave and I did the mission trips and the fundraisers and we had the Bible studies and we went on the streets and we witnessed 
and I worked for Jesus. In fact, I got so consumed with working for Jesus that I believe I missed Jesus in the process, that I was Martha in a merry world. I believe that I'm speaking to some of you guys today, working really hard for Jesus, standing up for Jesus, speaking on Jesus' behalf. Let me tell you, he doesn't need your help. He's doing just fine on his own. In fact, his countenance towards you is not that he needs your help, but that he asks about humanity. What can I do for you? That God is more concerned with how he is going to work in your life than he is concerned with all the work you are doing for him. Earning these brownie points. And he said, there must be something we can do for this woman. And Gehazi says, she don't have a boy. Now for you and I are like, okay, she doesn't have a boy. What's the big deal? But if you're of the ancient Mediterranean or a Hebrew or a Shunammite, if you don't have a son, you don't have a future. It don't matter how many people you pack into this room. It doesn't matter how much money you as a church raise, how many problems in this city you solve, how much you have in your 401k or how much security you have, even like this woman, if you have got no one to give it to. When she says she has no son, what she is in effect saying is she has no future, no legacy. And Elisha says, hey, I got an idea. We're going to give you a boy. And her response, don't play games with me. Don't you tease me with such fantasy. You and I have to grab from that response of hers. She has been dreaming for a boy her whole life. Like if there was a dream in her heart that could come to pass, it would be that she would build what she has built. The Bible, for some reason, has downplayed the role of the husband in this story and really put her on a pedestal. She is the woman of the town. She is wealthy. She builds on the, room, on the house. She furnishes the room. She speaks to Elisha. That, that this is a woman of God, audacious, tenacious, and she has a dream. And Elisha says, this time next year, you're going to have a boy. She says, don't mess with me. You don't even know how long I've been dreaming of a boy. You don't even know the yearnings in my heart for a future, for, for a legacy, for my children's children's children. And he goes, no, this time next year, I'll be back. You're going to have a boy. And, Matt, and, and her, her, here's her response. But my husband is old. My husband is old. He goes, don't matter. You're going to do it. Imagine the conversation like after Elisha leaves and the Shunammite woman's got to go tell her husband what he said. Babe, we got to get busy. We got to get busy. Elisha said we're going to have a boy. And he's like, babe, but I'm old. She's like, it don't matter, son. Here's a Gatorade. We're going. We're going to make a baby. Like imagine. Oh, we don't joke like that in church. I'm sorry. Um. Come on, let's get busy. And then it says, and then a year later, they conceived. They had a boy. And this is a story. And it's like, how nice, how fluffy, how exciting, how invigorating. God will give us a boy. He will give us our dreams. And then verse 21 comes like the Bible tends to do and smacks us all in the face. She took him up and she laid him on the bed of the bed and she shut him in alone and left. Do you know what just happened? 
the boy has died. The little boy wakes up, goes out to his dad who's working in the fields. And he goes, Dad, my head, my head, something's wrong. And, and, and let's actually put up that passage. Do we have it? Let's see. Um, Verse 18, the child grew up. One day he went to his father, who was working with the harvest hands, complaining, Dad, my head, my head. And his father ordered the servant, like any good dad would do. He says, take him to his mother. And the servant took him in his arms, carried him to his mother, and he laid on her lap until he died. And then she takes him up. Where does she take him? To the room she had furnished for Elisha. And she lays down her dead dream. She lays down not just her boy, but her future, lifeless. I'm a dad now, so when I think about one of my children passing, it like wrecks me. Can you relate? Come on, like, you can take anything, God, but do you take one of them? And I don't know if I'm going to come out on the other side of that. And this is the woman who was like, don't mess with me. Don't play games with me. And there she is just a few years later, and she's holding in her lap her dead dream. Have you ever held, New Covenant Church, a dead dream in your lap? I know in church it's hard to admit because church we've been programmed to like, <clears throat> I'm good, you know. I'm well, thank you, brother. Uh -huh. But if we really got honest and we really got real and we sat across the coffee table from each other and we wept with each other and we celebrated with each other and we really knew each other, we would find out that every single person in this room and every single person on this planet has a dead dream. Was it the business? Was it an actual child? Was it a miscarriage? Was it the foreclosure, the bankruptcy, the chapter 11? Was it the marriage? Maybe you thought you were headed towards marriage and it didn't work out. What dead dream is sitting in your lap? God, this looked good. I thought it was going to work out. I thought we were going to make it. I thought, I thought we would succeed. And I'm sitting here with a dead dream in my lap. And this woman takes the dead dream, her dead boy, and where does she lay it? In the room of the man of God. Where will you lay your dead dream if you haven't furnished room in your life for God? That's the problem of humanity, is it not? Struggle, sin, pain, turmoil. America walking around with dead dreams in their hands and nowhere to lay it down for they have not furnished space for God. That's why they're frustrated. That's why you're frustrated today, holding on to something you thought was going to work out, holding on to something you thought you were going to make it, holding on to something you thought was going to be, that was going to be it. You thought it was from God even. I thought God gave me this dream. I thought God gave me this business. I thought God put me in this marriage. I thought God, and you're holding it down, and you're holding down a dead, lifeless dream. My question to you today, New Covenant Church, is if you have not furnished space in your time, in your pocketbook, in your agenda, in your schedules, in your political views, for God, where will you lay down a dead dream? Think about the political climate we're in. Somebody's going to win. Do you know that? It doesn't matter who. I don't honestly care, to be 100% honest with you. I'm just of the position right now where I serve Jesus, and that's fine for me. But somebody will win. And a lot of you will hold a dead dream. 
at least half of you, at least half of America. Where are they going to put it without the hope of Jesus? Where will they place it? It ends up with a bunch of frustrated people because we have no place to lay down our dead dreams. Look at verse 22. It gets even more interesting. She lays down the boy in the room, and then she calls her husband, who sent the boy in the house. Hey, Dad, my head hurts. Go talk to your mother. And then he goes to the mom, and then he dies on the lap. And then she calls her husband. She goes, I need the car keys. Or give me a servant and a donkey. Same thing. So I can go to the holy man. I need to go to Elisha. I'll be back as soon as I can. Verse 23. But why today? The husband asked. It ain't Sunday. It's not Sabbath or new moon. This is the holy day. Why are you going to go see Pastor Elisha today? And she says, don't ask questions. I need to go right now. Trust me. The original language, shalom. Next time you're arguing with your wife or your husband. Oh, wait, you're church people. You don't argue with each other. Never mind. That was a joke. Next time you're arguing, I want you to try it. Shalom. Like interrupt. Shalom. You know? Try to like get out of an argument like that. It's not going to go over well if we're being honest. But she's done this twice. She does it to her husband. Shalom. And she walks away. And she does it to Elisha's servant Gehazi. Hey, shalom. Why is he asking, hey, babe, why are you going to church today? It's not Sunday. His boy is upstairs dead in a room. Why is he concerned what day of the week it is? It's indicative to me, and it should be to you as a reader and a listener of this story, that the woman did not inform her husband of their own son's death. Let that sink in. This woman didn't tell her husband that their boy is dead. He's not dumb. He's ignorant. He has no clue that their dream is upstairs on the man at God's bed, dead. Dead. She goes, Shalom, give me the car keys. And she jumps in her Land Rover because she was a wealthy woman. And they drive through the Valley of Jezreel, 13 miles. And they get to Mount Carmel. And there's Elisha. And Elisha sees her. And you can continue reading the story in your own Bible. And Elisha sees her and he goes, Gazi, that's the Shunammite woman. I noticed that Land Rover anywhere. It's got them spinner rims, you know? Like, I know that car. He goes, go find out what's up. Ask her if her husband's okay and if her son's okay, if everything's okay. And Gehazi, and I don't know why in my mind in the story, because I like to think of Bible stories as like movies, but I always think about Gehazi as like a hobbit. You guys are familiar with hobbits? So Gehazi like hobbits down the mountain, right? And he's like going all the way down. And he's like, oh, hi, sure, my woman. What's the matter? And he goes, and she goes, everything's fine. Shalom. Like her dream is dead, her boy is dead, everything is not okay, and her response, I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna be, oh, I'm not okay, but I'm gonna be okay, so shalom. How confident is she? God gave me this dream. I did not ask for this dream. She walks up to Elisha, she says, I need to talk to your master. She walks up Mount Carmel, and she looks at Elisha, and she looks him in the face, and here is her response. She says this. Look at verse 27. Let's actually read this. Verse 27, she says this. Did I ask for a boy? 
How many moms in the room? Raise your hand. If you're a mom. You have a mama bear mode. My wife has a mama bear mode. Now you can pick on her, you can mess with her, you can demean her. She's thick-skinned, she'll be fine. But you pick on one of her babies, and she will claw your eyes out. I have seen her take the life of a man with only the use of her thumb. No, I'm just kidding. Like, she will, but a mama bear, you don't mess with a mama bear. This is mama bear. And she te- she's walking by, Gehazi's like, ma'am, is everything okay? She's like, you, shalom, babat, shalom, I ain't talking to you, I'm talking to him. And she goes, did I ask you for a boy? Did I ask you for a son? You knew that I was dreaming of this. I told you not to mess with me, and my boy is dead. And Elisha, he tells Gehazi, Gehazi, threat level midnight, bro. This is not good. Go back to the house, take my staff, lay it on the boy's body, he'll come back to life. And, and, and the woman goes, as surely as the Lord God lives, you better be sure, boy. I am not leaving you, I'm going with you. And so Gehazi runs, little hobbit, all the way through the valley of Jezreel. And he's got the staff in his hand, he's got like Gandalf staff, I don't know. And he's like running through the valley, and he gets there, and he lays the staff on the boy, and he does it five times, and nothing happens. By this time, the woman and Elisha pull up in the Land Rover and they're like, hey, what's going on? And Gehazi runs out and he's like, it didn't work. Where is he? He's in your room. He's in the room she made for you. Because that's where you're supposed to lay down your dead things, friends. In the room you made for God. I love her tenacity of spirit. She has the gall and the audacity and the assurance of her own faith to recognize that this was not her dream, but God's dream. If it is your dream, and it dies, you leave it in the ground. But if it is God's dream, you return to sender. This was your dream. Salvation for mankind was your dream. If it is God's dream, you take it back to him. You put it in the space you built. And you say, God. You know how many times in the, New, in the Old Testament, the Bible says, call unto God? I wouldn't have translated it the word call. It doesn't do it. Service. Anytime you see the word call unto God in the Psalms and in the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, it could be better translated, remind God. She goes and she reminds Elisha. You gave me this. I didn't manufacture this. I didn't manipulate this. You gave this to me. And now it's dead. And now my dream is dead. So you better get back over there in the space I made for you and fix it. And so Elisha goes into the room that was furnished for him. And he does the smartest thing I've ever seen Elisha do in scripture. He closes the door and leaves her outside. (laughs) Because she is crazy. He's like, I am not going to be able to work with her here. This is nerve-wracking. Close the door. And he does something five times. He lays across the boy's body five times. And on the fifth time, the boy sneezes. In fact, the Bible tells us he sneezed seven times. I don't know why it said he did it five times. And then, and then the boy raised back to life. Some people are super into those numbers. I'm not, but apparently he did it five times. And the boy gets up and he sneezes seven times. And that's how they knew he was alive. But can we just be honest for a second? What if he would have sneezed seven times during COVID-19? Like, have you been out in the grocery store? And like, clears you're like, <clears throat> and like everyone in the grocery just like, like... And you're like, I swear, it's like guilty until proven innocent, right? 
I'm like so over this season of my life. 2020, if we're all being honest, stinks. It has been hard. I'm a little bit of an introvert at times. I'm also a germaphobe. The only good thing about 2020 is the fact that I think people should normally stay six feet away from me. Like, I'm totally cool with that. That's about it. But I miss my friends, and I miss my church. And for many of you, 2020 is your dead lifeless dream. This was your year. This was your time. Your marriage, your business, the wedding, the kids. Bringing them into this year? This stuff? The political climate we live in? The racial tensions we have? Have you ever had a dream die, church? It's not a good feeling. Especially when you knew that it was from God. You knew in your spirit and your soul that God gave me this. And now it's dead and it is lifeless. And I can't feel anything. And I don't see any hope in this marriage. I don't see any hope in this relationship. And I don't know how I'm going to make it out of work. And I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. And I don't know how we're going to pay for this house. And I don't know where we're going to, how we're going to bounce back from this situation. Have you ever held a dream in your lap and watched it breathe its last? I believe every human being is experienced a dead dream. She's angry with God. Did I ask you for a boy? You gave this to me. I did. You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor and I started our own church. Ooh. You know how many times we have struggled and overcome obstacles? We have lost venues, we have lost buildings, we have lost donations, we have lost pastors. And how many times I've gone to God and been like, did I ask you for a church? These people are crazy. And they all think they're right, because they're from America. And I just go, God, this was yours. And if it's not from you, you take it away. Here's what I have noticed in my life of following Jesus. Then when it is from God, it is revivable. And when it is not from God, it stays in the grave. Where did your dream come from? I hate to break it to you. But following Jesus does not mean the fulfillment of all of your hopes and your dreams, and certainly not the American dream. I got good news and I got bad news. God has a dream, good news. And it's not the American dream, bad news. He's not dreaming of a country. He's dreaming of a kingdom something bigger and more vast than you could ever hope or dream. And when it is his dream, he can bring it back to life. And so on the fifth time, the boy sneezes seven times and he wakes up and he calls the woman and he goes, come on into the room. She furnished the room. She built the room, but any time she's ever acted with Elisha in that room, she has stood at the door. Now she is called past the door, into the room, with the man of God, and her revived dream. And the story doesn't end there. Elisha predicts a famine in the land. Seven years, no rain. The country is in turmoil. She's actually exiled into a place called Philistia. We call them the land of the Philistines. And she's out there. She comes back into Shunem after the famine, and the government has seized all of her land her crops, her home, and her money. That the lady of the town who had built a, noun, a renown and a name for herself and had gained influence and finances now has nothing. 
But Elisha had been counseling the king, and Gehazi was sitting with the king in Shunem. Servant to the holy man, saying, Tell me some stories of the great things that Elisha did. It so happened that as he was telling the king the story of the dead person brought back to life, that the woman whose son was brought back to life showed up asking for her home and her farm back. And Gehazi said, my master, the king, this is the Shunammite woman. She rolls up in her Land Rover and he's like, I know this lady. And that's her son who Elisha brought back to life. And guess what happens? She gets her land and her home and her farm and her money all back. She gets it all back. She finds favor with the king. This woman gets a full page in God's book. And it never even tells us her name. This boy, his story was so significant that it got back his family's farm and everything they owned. And all we know about him is that he was the boy who was raised from the dead. We don't even know his name. Why are we so concerned with building a name for ourselves? You are so concerned legacy and your own homes and your own 401ks and our own churches and our own significance. And that is the American dream that has infiltrated God's dream. And I came to tell you today that the story we will tell and the story that will prevail will not be what you did for Jesus. But what Jesus has done for us, I was dead like that boy, and now I am alive in Christ. I serve a God and a king who brings dead things back to life. And that is my story. It don't matter my name. Would you just bow your heads right where you sit? Just bow your heads, close your eyes if you're comfortable. Brian here is playing the piano. It's going to get real spiritual. Also a joke. I had a really hard time before we pray. You just keep your head bowed, eyes closed. I had a really hard time in ministry several years back before I started my church. And, uh, I had a bad day. Anybody ever have a bad day? And I messed up. And I called your pastor, Dave. And I was sitting in my car and I was in tears. And I said, Dave, I messed up. And he listened to me. And then he said, shut up, you sissy. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. On the same day, a man I respected looked me in my eyes and told me that I would never be used by God. My friend and your pastor Dave said, you're going to make it. There is power in your words. 
I came to tell some of you today, you're holding a dead, lifeless dream. I don't know what it is, but you know what it is. And I came to tell you today that if it was from God, it is revivable, it is resurrectable, it is not over, and you have a story to tell. If a seed is not buried in the ground and dies, it will never produce fruit. Had Jesus not died on that cross and resurrected three days later, we would not have salvation for anyone who believes. If 2020 has not been your year and you are hurting and there is heartache and there is struggle and there is pain and you hold in your life in your hands right now a lifeless dream, your story is not over. I'm going to pray for you. The rest of these people, they apparently have it all together. But I'm going to pray for you because I believe I've been talking to you this whole time. You're like, how does he know? I don't know. God told me, but I don't really know you. He's speaking to you. He sent me here today to talk to you. And you're sitting there going, this is me. I need my dream revived. I'm holding something lifeless. Everyone's head bowed and eyes closed. I'm about to pray. And while I am praying, if I am praying for you, you stand up and receive it. Father God, I come to you at the end of our gathering at New Covenant Church recognizing that a hard life makes for an interesting story. And I look at some people who are beginning to stand up. God, they are holding dead, lifeless dreams. They have nowhere to place them. I pray God right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that in this moment they would lay them at your feet. The Shunammite woman, God, she, she laid her dead dream at the feet of the man of God. God, we get to come today and lay our dead dreams at the feet of the man who is God. The creator, the savior, the lover of our soul. Would you remind them right now as they lay their dead dreams at your feet that they're going to make it. That a righteous man may fall seven times, but he will rise and rise again. And God, for those of us in this room who have been building our own legacy and building our own dreams, we commit to you today to build your dream, the kingdom, bigger and better than any politician can give us. We lay our dreams at your feet, recognizing we don't need a new job or a new marriage. We need a resurrected one. I pray for these people. Would you bring it back to life? Would you put a fire in their soul like never before? Would you do something so special and so unique at New Covenant Church that they don't even have to know our name, but just that you brought something dead back to life? May you get all the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen and amen. Would you please stand? We're going to close in song. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.